Amen. We are uh, in this series that we've been doing for several weeks about worship and the presence of God, and we've been talking about the fact that there's the omnipresence of God. God's everywhere all the time. How many of you believe that? And, uh, you know, we, we know that, but there's also the manifest presence, and this is when he reveals the presence that's already here. Does that, does that make sense? And so we've been um, experiencing this, praise God, <laughs> in service, and we've just been letting uh, the presence of God touch people while, while I'm preaching, and um, how many of you been, thought that was cool? I mean, I, I, I was like, that's really neat. I told my buddy Brian, who pastors... Uh, in North Carolina about it, and he was like, well, I'm going to try that, and uh, he said I was a little scared at first, and I was like, that's how you know you're taking enough risk, and, um, but anyway, last Sunday, he did that, and he had three people healed while he was preaching, and so, you know, the presence of God is real. Somebody else was telling me years ago, they were in a meeting, and they, the presence of God just healed them of, of alcoholism. They just got delivered of the thing. Nobody Nobody prayed for him. So um, anyway, I, I love that kind of stuff. I just love, we want to be a church full of the presence of God. And, and now, I mean, I mean, I want that here, right? But, but how many of you understand that this, we're at church, certainly we're meeting, but we, we are the church. And so we want our lives, not just what goes on Sunday morning, we want our lives to be full of the presence of God. We want the glory of God to radiate out of us on our jobs, in our homes, in our families. And uh, this, is, this is our goal. And what I've come to understand, you know, there, there was this, I think it's resolving, but it seemed like for a while there was this argument between grace people, and which I come from, and charismatic people, which I come from too. And it was about this issue of, of you know, the presence of God and, 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 you know, specifically, can you pray this prayer, come Holy Spirit? And the grace people would say, well, you can't pray that because the Holy Spirit's already here. And then the charismatic people would say, yeah, but when we pray that, <laughs> good stuff happens. <laughs> okay. And, and uh, how, do you, how do you reconcile uh, all of that? Uh, Isaiah 6 and verse 1 says that I, I beheld the Lord... In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah had this vision. He said, I beheld the Lord, and he was high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Um, anybody ever been to a wedding where the bride has a really long train? And they had to have, like, people help carry it, right? <laughs> this thing is so long. So the bride can, can come down the aisle, and yet she can keep coming. Because there's more. God's infinite. He can be someplace and still come there. What does that mean? It means that there's presence on top of presence on top of presence. You can experience one level of the manifest presence of God. And if you want to, you can be like, well, I'm, I'm cool. <laughs> or... Or you can say, thank you for this, Jesus, but I want more. And you can encounter God more and more. And we want to be a place where more and more of the manifest presence of God is, is happening all the time. And so 
Believing for that, it does not deny the reality of the faithful on the presence of God, but it gives it greater degrees of, of expression. As we like to say a lot, I have no doubt that Jesus is in me. What I'm concerned about is whether or not he's coming out. And we've said that worship is one of the things that allows this to happen. If you want to use this terminology, worship is one of the things that releases the presence of God from in here to flow out of us. And Psalm 22 and verse 3 says uh, that you are holy, O, uh, <coughs> o you that inhabit the praises of of Israel. God inhabits the praises of his people. When we worship God, it's like it builds a house or a structure in the spirit realm, and the presence of God dwells there, or the glory of God. The glory is another term for the manifested presence. The strength of a structure determines how much weight it can hold. The word glory, one of the literal meanings is actually weight. That's why Paul says that the present sufferings are working for us a more eternal weight of glory. The more I live a lifestyle of worship, the more that I, I create in my heart a passionate love for God and cultivate a worshiping lifestyle, it's like, it's like the, the building becomes stronger and greater weight of glory can rest on me. I um, have, we've seen, you know, some, some amazing things here, and I've been part of, of uh, churches where, um, well, you know, we've seen people here just, you know, touched by God without people praying and stuff, because there's just, there's just glory here. At my old church, there was a, this lady, I think I've told this testimony, but she, she was about to kill herself, and, and she was driving, and she almost ran into this, uh, median and at the last moment she heard the voice of God say don't let the devil win and so she slammed on her brakes and and then she drove or, or this down this road and she saw our building and she felt there's something in there that I need and she came the next Sunday and got born again gave her life to, to Jesus and got got delivered well why is that isn't God everywhere Sure he is, okay, but, but he, can, he can manifest himself in such a tangible way that even people that aren't looking for him find him. Amen. In Catherine Kuhlman's meetings years ago, there the testimonies of people that would come to the meetings to make fun of her, and they'd get healed. <laughs> That'll shift what you believe. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so <laughs> worship, it does. It just builds this house of God, and that's, that's what we're believing for um, in, our, in our meetings and then also in our lives. How many of you can get on that train with me and believe for, for more of that? So, but I, I wanted to explain more of why this whole thing works. And last week we used the scripture, James 4.10, which says that if you humble yourself before the Lord, in due time, he will exalt you. And worship humbles us. We, we bow before God, we humble ourselves, and then he exalts us to positions of influence and authority where we can bless and serve other people. This is one of the reasons that worship builds the house of God. Today, I wanted to look at two more reasons. 
the first is that, so the, the question again is this, it's, it's why does my worship release the presence of God? If you understand why, you'll be more motivated to do it. You don't have to understand why, but it's helpful. So two more reasons. Number one, worship helps us to renew our minds. Why is that? Well, first of all, you've got to understand what mind renewal is, is all about. Uh, Jesus calls us to live a lifestyle where we're, we're living beyond reason. We're living beyond where our natural minds can take us. There's a lot of things that Jesus asks us to do, strategies that he gives us, that frankly, they don't make a lot of sense unless, unless you've already bought into the whole Jesus thing. In fact, 1 Corinthians 2.14 says that the, the natural man can't receive the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness unto him, neither can he know them. But what we're called to do as Christians, once we've bought into Jesus, is renew our minds. Romans 12.2, we're probably all familiar with this scripture. It says that you're to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By thinking differently, I can transform everything in my life, is what he's what he's saying, and it says at the end that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The word prove there, it means to test or to, to try or to approve of in, in the Greek. What he's saying is change how you think so that your brain approves the will of God. Change how you think so that the crazy stuff that God asks you to do becomes logical. Amen. Think differently. Don't think like the world. Think like Jesus. What, what's that mean? Well, there's a bunch of crazy stuff Jesus tells us to do. Like Luke 6.38 says, give and it will be given unto you. In the kingdom, how do you get more resources? You give away what you've got. Well, that doesn't make much sense naturally. It's like, oh, I've got this much resources. If I give that away, how am I going to have more? I'm going to have less. But how many of you have lived on the backside of that and you recognize that if I give, I can increase? What, now, look, you don't have to have your mind renewed in order to participate in that. You can just do it in faith. But it works better when your brain agrees with it. <laughs> When the impossible starts to make sense, you know you're on your way to having a renewed mind. <laughs> you know, Josh is, Josh is about to, you know, tonight we're going to have this healing meeting. And so it makes total sense to me that people will be healed at this meeting. It's rational to me. In fact, I think it's actually irrational not to believe in the, in the supernatural. Um, but anyway, that's my opinion. <laughs> you know, the Bible says if you need wisdom, you can, you know, Casey was basically singing this. You can, you can groan. You can speak in tongue. You can make a song that's like, I, I, you know, I don't even have the words. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit makes intercession with us with groanings which can't be uttered. So I don't know what to do. I don't understand stuff. What do I do? Say a bunch of stuff you don't understand, and then, and then you'll understand. 
how the kingdom works, right? I need wisdom. You know, I don't, what did I just say? I don't know, but it helps me understand. The Bible says if you want to you save your life, what are you supposed to do? Give it up for Jesus. This is one of my favorites, Hebrews 4.11, ultimate oxymoron. Let us therefore labor to enter into rest. Work really, really hard to rest. And once your mind's renewed, what that means is it's hard work to quit being a legalist. Amen. That's what it's, that's, it's hard work to get out of your works mentality. Matthew 23, 11 says if you want to be the greatest, you've got to become everybody's servant. The way up is down. Everything in the kingdom is reversed. I've got to change the way I think so that my brain approves of this, this kingdom reality that's different than the way the world thinks. Well, worship, worship helps me to do that. How, why? Why does worship help me to renew my mind? Why does worship help me to approve of the will of God? I heard this story back in October about a pastor or minister who was somewhere and he was um, uh, ministering. And in the middle of this, he gets this weird, you know, he hears God speak to him, this strange prophetic word. And, it, and this is what it was. We're about to lose the baby. We have to elevate the heart above the head. And he thinks, that's really weird. But he gives it anyway, just in faith. And nobody seems to resonate with that. <laughs> and he thinks, well, maybe I missed it, because you can miss it. Everybody say, I can miss it. And it's okay. God still loves me. Okay. So anyway, he, he says this and nothing seems to happen. But then later that evening, he gets a call because there's a lady in the hospital that's giving birth and she's having a difficult time. And they say, can you go pray for this lady in, in the hospital? And the uh, minister's like, sure. And so he gets into the hospital. And, you, you know, if you've been, uh, I've watched my wife give birth three times. It's intense, you know. And so there's, but they got all these things hooked up to, to you, you know, to measure the baby's heartbeat. And, and you can see all this stuff. And so the uh, uh, minister goes in there and the 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 readings start looking bad. Everybody with me? And the, and the doctor rushes in, and the doctor says, we're about to lose the baby. We have to get you to elevate your heart above your head. And the guy's like, whoa. <laughs> and, and what they do is they get this woman. She's, you know, very pregnant. They get her up, and they get her to kneel. And then they say, we've got to elevate your heart above your head. We need you to bow. Oh my goodness. Wow. Oh my goodness. The way that you elevate what you know to be true in your heart over what you fear might be true in your head is to bow. And that's how you save what you're trying to give birth to. Amen. 
What's that mean? I'll make it more practical. There are a lot of times in life when there are circumstances, there are thought processes, there are all kinds of things that I'm, I'm looking at, and, and it's like my brain can't process this properly. And it's easy to reason our way out of faith. But your, your brain was never meant to be the leader. Your brain was meant to be the follower of what you know to be true by faith in your heart. And there are these moments in life when I've, I've got to elevate what I know to be true in my heart over what's going on in my brain. And the best way to do that is to bow and worship. Amen. It's to say, look, I'm not, I, I'm not living by what's going on in my brain. I'm living by what I know by faith in my heart. Asaph actually understood this. If you have a Bible, open up to Psalm 73. Psalm 73 is a phenomenal psalm. It's super honest. It's this guy, Asaph, and uh, he's the guy that David put in charge of worship in the tabernacle of David. He understands about the manifest presence of God. He understands about worship. The first, like, 15 verses are Asaph complaining about all the stuff that's going on in his life. Anybody ever just complained to God about a bunch of stuff that was happening in your life? You're in good company. People in the Bible did it too. All right, now, so he's, he's saying there's all this injustice. There's things that are wrong. There's good people that are having bad things happen to them. There's bad people that are having good things happen to them. The, the world's really messed up, and God, you don't seem to care about any of this, and, and, you know, everything is bad. And he's just reasoning, and stuff's going around in his mind, and he's trying to reason his way out of it. He's trying to figure out what the deal is. And in verse 16, he says this, When I thought to know about this stuff, when I tried to understand this stuff, when I tried to figure it out, it was too painful for me. There are things in life that it's painful to look at. It's painful to, to think about. Painful to understand. Verse 17, until, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood. What he's saying is, all this stuff was confusing, and then I went into a place of worship, and I made my head bow, and I elevated my heart, and I worshiped God in the context of all my problems, and I said, God, you're good. I don't understand all this, but I know you're good. I love you. I worship you. I give up my right to understand, and I say that you're God. And on the backside of that, what? Then I understand. Sometimes we have to worship more and think less. It's not that thinking is a problem. It's that I'm, I'm supposed to reason from faith. And reasoning to faith is hard. Instead, you just worship. You know, I uh, 
in my, in my personal life, I went, I went through this period of years where I was really, I felt disconnected from God. I've told this testimony before, but and I learned later that it was all an illusion. It was my own, my own mistaken understanding. But I thought God was far away. I thought he was mad at me, and I thought uh, that he couldn't talk to me because I didn't have everything right in my life. And uh, I was trying to reason through all this stuff, and I was trying to figure it out in my head, and it, just, it was just like the wheels were spinning, but I wasn't going anywhere. Until one day, I was in church, and uh, I didn't get any major revelation or anything. I was just in church, and I just felt the desire to worship. I didn't feel like I had a right to worship. I didn't think God wanted to receive my worship, but I was like, well, I'll do it anyway. And I raised my hands in church, and I started to worship God in a way that I hadn't in, in several years. And I'm telling you, something began to shift on the inside of me. And I walked out of that service. Not everything was magically better overnight. But I said, God, I don't understand what you're doing. But whatever it is, please keep doing it. Amen. And I'm telling you, that's, after that, I, I got um, some teaching from Andrew Walmack and began to understand grace in a way that I hadn't before. And, um, if I, if I look back, that's the, that's the starting point of here. That's how I got to, that's the starting point of how we're walking in our destiny. It all started with worship. All started with elevating my head, my heart above my head. Does that make sense to everybody? Yes. So that's reason number two. Reason number three, really quickly, that worship releases the presence of God. Has anybody ever noticed that it seems like God tends to only reveal Himself most profoundly to people that already love Him? Yeah. <laughs> now, there are stories that are run counter to this. You know, there's God appears to people. God appeared to Saul, right? Um, and so there's, there's differences in God, you know, I'm not going to put him in a box. But when Jesus was raised from the dead, he didn't go to Pilate and say, hey, are your hands clean now? You know, he didn't, he didn't hover over the city of Jerusalem. He didn't uh, go up here to Herod. What he did was, who's the first person he appeared to? Mary Magdalene. I don't think there was a person on earth that loved Jesus more than Mary Magdalene. Why is that? Why does, why does Jesus seem to appear and manifest himself and reveal himself to, to people that are already committed to him? He can do it other ways. But I think, I think there's probably many reasons. But I believe one of them is that he's trying to protect our free will. Uh, the famous poet Keats said that truth is beauty and beauty truth. Um, his point was that beauty is, is fundamentally persuasive. Um, the, uh, the guys that discovered the shape of DNA, that it's a double helix, when they were studying this, one of the guys, I, I can't remember which one it was, but, but, but he... Uh, when they, when they theorized, they didn't know that it was a double helix, but they were like, well, we think maybe it is. They tried lots of different combinations and stuff, and they thought, well, maybe it's a double helix. And when they came up with the idea, the scientist said, that has to be right because a structure that beautiful has to exist. 
without really even believing in God, he understood something fundamental about the universe, which is that the, the beautiful God only creates beautiful things. And, and so what he was saying is, is that be beauty is it's persuasive. It speaks. This is true. God is, is transcendent beauty, if he's anything, which means that he's persuasive beyond anything you could imagine. So if God were to just pull back the curtain, just show you his beauty right now without hiding anything and, and somehow you weren't obliterated, two things would occur. One, you would be, you would be fully persuaded that he's God. You would be fully in love and you would not have had a choice. You wouldn't have. Because he's that powerful and he's that beautiful. And, and love, the Bible says that God is loved a couple times in 1 John. Love wants to be loved back. God doesn't need our love, but he wants, it, wants to be loved back. And uh, love is only real if there's a choice. Is that true? My, my love for my wife, it, it only, my yes to my wife only means something in the context of my no to every other woman. Not that there's like a line or anything, but you understand, <laughs> you, you understand the, the, the point that I'm making is that, is that it means something because I could have chosen to, to love other people, right? God wants us to be able to choose him. In order to do that, he, he, has, to, he has to hide himself a little bit. In fact, Psalm 104, verse 2, says that he does this. He says that he clothes himself with light as a garment. God is so bright and so brilliant and radiant that he hides behind lesser light. <laughs> there's, there's light behind the light. There's, there's glory behind the glory behind the glory behind the glory. And when you experience God, how many of you have had an encounter with God and it's like, oh, I, I feel so in love right now. Anybody ever had that? Yes. All right. Have you ever noticed that, it, I, I don't want to say that it wears off, but it's like, it's like after a while you be, your eyes adjust to the light. Yeah. 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 This bothered me tremendously for years. Because what I, I, I thought that it meant my, my experiences weren't authentic. Because I, I fear, I thought in my head, if, if I really had this radical encounter with God, which I believe that I did, why can I still choose to reject Him? Why can I still choose, you know, because I, I, I'm like, you know, sometimes I can still choose to do something stupid. And I thought, well, maybe there's something wrong, something inauthentic with my encounters. No, it's, it's at every level, your, your, God, your eyes adjust and God gives you another choice. <laughs> Do you want to stay in, in this level of light? Or do you want more? <laughs> you always have a choice. He works hard to protect your will. The more in love you are with God, 
the safer it becomes for him to reveal himself. So he shows us a little bit, and then we fall in love. And then our eyes adjust, and we have a choice. Do we want to fall deeper? Because if we do, he'll show us more, and more, and more, and more. And this is what eternity looks like. It's, it's this, you know, the Bible describes heaven in a crazy way. It's, it's I mean, it's intense, right? Now, I don't think, I don't know, I mean, I don't know everything about heaven. I don't think we spend, like, every moment in heaven before the, before the throne of God, because I just think it's probably too intense, even, even in our renewed bodies and stuff. But there's the throne of God, and there's a rainbow around it, and there's these four living creatures that circle around there and they cry out, holy, holy, holy. There are these thrones and there's like fire everywhere. <laughs> All right, and there's a sea of glass like crystal stretching out. If you imagine what that's like, it's like if, if, you stand on, if, you, if you stand on glass stretching out forever, what that looks like is that you're encompassed by whatever's around you. Oh, it's, it's a 360-degree it's a in, 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 engulfing in the glory of God. And so there's all this fire and there's all this angels singing and all this. And, and I, I imagine myself, this is what I, I imagine sometimes in worship is that I'm there. And, and what I'm trying to do is just take one step closer to the throne. And it's not that God doesn't want me there. He's, he's inviting me. He loves me to come there. But it's, it's so intense. And there's so much love. And there's so much uh, uh, beauty and, and, and passion. And sometimes I'm on my knees and I'm, I'm crawling just one, step, just one step closer. I just want to see a little bit more light. I just want to see a little bit more of the glory. So when we worship, what we're doing is we're expressing our love to God. And the more we do that, the safer it is for Him to reveal Himself. Does that make sense? So this is, man, this makes me want to worship. This, you know, this helps you understand why, why worship is such a big deal. Places that, places that worship well, people that worship well, they, they carry the manifest presence of God. And it's powerful. Let's read one last scripture. Psalm 110. And verse 3. Just the first part of it. It says, Your people will be willing in the day of your power. Everybody say this. I'm going to be willing when Jesus shows up. Now certainly that's, you know, when he comes back. But Jesus wants to show up all the time. What's he want? A willing bride. Somebody who's already in love. That's what he's looking for. Thank you, Jesus. Now, I want to I wanna make this statement really quickly. What I just said there is really, is, it's all true. It's really important. What you might be tempted to hear is, I need to go work really hard now to love God. The problem with that is it won't work. 
1 John 4.19 says, we love him because he first loved us. If you want to fall in love with God, what you have to do is meditate on what he's already done for you. How much he loves you. Then you'll love him. That's a natural response. It'll be like breathing. All right, let's all stand. My prayer team could come down here. I'm going to pray for everybody. If you need personal prayer, you can come down here. Pray with one of my prayer ministers. Remember, service tonight at 6.30. It'll be a lot of fun. Love to see you here. I'm going to pray for everybody. If you need personal prayer, you can come down in just a minute. Father, we just thank you for your goodness and, and these amazing truths about who you are and that you're just so beautiful. And we just want to see a little bit more. We want a little bit more of, of the glory. We want to fall even deeper in love with you. We want to worship you with our whole hearts. We want your presence to rest on us and flow through us. Change our lives. Change those around us. So we just thank you for that. We bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen.